0: For those of you who are bulletin readers, we love you. You may, you may have noticed that uh, I'm going to be preaching about anger this morning. And let me say before I begin, I'm preaching on anger this morning, but I am not preaching an angry sermon. Thought I'd clarify that at the onset. Now this sermon, uh, and tonight's as well, is a, from a series that uh, we went through in youth ministry about last spring or so on the, the, the attitudes of the Christian life. Um, this morning we're going to be talking about anger, and tonight we're going to be talking about patience. Perhaps two attitudes that you consider to be poles apart. And, and maybe in your own mind you are thinking even this morning, well, it seems pretty cut and dried to me, David anger is always bad, patience is always good, end of sermon. Uh, There could be some truth in that statement. More than likely, you are correct, but let me suggest to you this morning, by way of introduction, that your problem with anger might not be so cut and dried. You might need more than just exhortations to stop being angry. And that's what I want to seek to do and accomplish in this time Now, I do realize that it is a celebratory day, and I do want you to go to the youth fundraiser lunch afterwards, not angry, but joyful. Um, And Why should we do a sermon like this today Um, instead of maybe a sermon on thankfulness? Well, there's two reasons. First, I can't think of no more fitting way to celebrate this building than just opening up the Word of God and seeing what it has for us to say today. And secondly, I'm preaching, you're not, don't be angry. <laughs> so without any further to do, we're going to just kind of to tackle our, our topic today, we're going to do a, 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 a little Bible study of sorts to get our minds around this idea of anger in the Bible. So we're going to follow the theme of anger and I'm not going to try to read every single passage on anger that there is. We're just going to do a few quick passages and ask a few simple questions about anger. For example, what causes anger at times? What are the feelings that are displayed when anger is present? What are the actions of those who are angry? And the most important question, is anger ever good? Is anger ever good? Open up your Bibles to the book of Esther, Esther chapter 1. In Esther, uh, the concern is with God's faithfulness, as the children of Israel are in exile for their their sin, and God is a bit of an unseen character in Esther, but he is very active. And even though situations seem out of control, we see that Yahweh, our God, is very much in control, even though he is behind the scenes. He is even in control when a king, a pagan king, gets angry. Esther chapter one we'll begin in verse 1 to kind of help set the context a little bit for us this morning. Now it happened in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days, as the king Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne, which was at the citadel of Susa, in the third year of his reign he held a feast. He held a feast for all of his princes and servants, the military officers of Persia and Media the nobles and the princes of his provinces being in his presence, while he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days. 180 days. And then we skip down to verse 8. The drinking was done according to the law. There was no compulsion. Or, put it in our vernacular, there was an open bar. There was no limit. For so the king had established it for each official of his household that he should do according to what pleased each person. Queen Vashti also held a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. Verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he said for Mehumen, bitstha Harbona, Bigtha, Abba, Gtha, Zethar, and uh, Carcass, the seven eunuchs who attended to the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king in her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful in appearance. But... Queen Vashti refused to come at the word of the king, which was delivered by the hand of the eunuchs. Then the king became exceedingly furious, and his wrath burned within him. Now, just look at this as a result. Uh, As a result of all this, and I'll summarize it for you the, the, the king's counselors are very fearful because of what the king's wife has done. And they say to themselves in verse 18, her actions will inspire other wives to do similar things. Oh, horror. Wives will not follow the, drinken, uh, the drunken demands of their husband. We can't have that in our kingdom. You've got to do something, king. And they come up with a plan, of course, to handle this. And, Vashti was to be made an example of and, and banished from the king's presence in the king's rage. And we see their solution in verse 19. If it seems good to the king, let a royal word go forth from him and let it be written in the laws of the per- of Persia and Media so that it cannot be repealed that Vashti may no longer come into the presence of king who has worse, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she." And of course, we see Asuerus, only later when the wine leaves, most likely, realizes the foolishness of his actions and the foolishness of his demand and he is grieved by what his rage has accomplished. So what do we learn here from Esther 1? What, are, what sometimes causes anger? Or what's the perceived causes of anger? Well, here, Uh, Vashti isn't doing what the king wants her to do. And that causes him to respond in anger. Notice all the feelings that are displayed. He is enraged. He is burning with anger. His feelings, we see, take over. They are like a forest fire. His rage is like a forest fire, and it's destroying, it's willing to destroy all that is in its path. It's growing, and it's consuming, and it's increasing, and heat... And of course, what are the results of his anger? Verse 19, his anger, notice this, leads him to permanently separate Vashti from himself forever. A moment of rage, permanent separation. And notice also, and maybe perhaps this is just a suggestion, notice how open to manipulation he is. His counselors take advantage of him and are able to get their way out of his anger. An angry man is seemingly out of control in his own mind, but he's very easy to control in other people's minds as well. Notice just the conclusions here. Anger can be destructive. It can be devastating. It can undo significant relationships in a moment, in a flash. Let's turn to our next passage, 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, First Samuel, of course, is a book that's just providing us with a contrast between God's choice of king and the people's choice of the king. The people have chosen Saul, and God has chosen David. And we see this contrast take shape throughout the book. First Samuel 18, verse 6, says this, and this is right after the, the conquering of Goliath. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 6, And it happened as they were coming when David returned from striking down the Philistine that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and gladness and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they were merry and said, Saul has struck his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Then Saul became very angry for this saying was displeasing in his eyes. And he said, "Uh, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Verse 9, so Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. What do we learn about anger from this passage? What are the causes of anger? Notice, Uh, David is getting the praise, David is getting the glory, and Saul is not. And his anger is showing what he truly inwardly wants. What are the feelings that are displayed? He is very angry, the text says. The woman's saying displeases him greatly. There is this inward struggle that we see. And this is interesting. What does Saul do in his anger? He starts eyeing David. He starts following David around in his mind and with his eyes. Suddenly, Saul has put on eyeglasses of anger, and he interprets everything David does through those lenses. Anger can be an incredible interpreter in our life, can't it? It can totally shape our reality, form our thinking, construct our judgments. Now, I say this with love and great honor and great appreciation for our Spanish translation team. It takes true saints to try to translate what I am saying into Spanish. But what would happen if one of them, you know, was angry at me? those precious ones with the headsets. They would probably be receiving a much different message than the one you are receiving right now. And anger, could it be, is like that as well. It's not based on reality, but it's translating, it's interpreting, and it's forming and framing your whole life. But let's move over Uh, back a little ways in your Bible to Exodus 32, Exodus 32, verse 7, despite Yahweh's faithfulness to Israel and bringing them out of Egypt, they, the moment Moses goes up to the mountain and is is delayed for just a while, they quickly turn away from Yahweh and faithfulness to him, and they go to Aaron and they say, make us a calf that we may worship and follow it. Exodus 32, verse 7 says this, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt." And Yahweh said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are a stiff-necked people. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them, and that I may consume them, and that I will make a great nation out of you. What are the causes of anger here? The people have corrupted themselves. They have been faithless to a faithful God. They have turned quickly out of the way. And what are the feelings that we see displayed? Notice, it's striking language, right? Yahweh's anger, His wrath, is said to burn hot. And what are the actions which are threatened by Yahweh's anger? He is threatening to consume them to destroy them. And notice, to separate them from himself. Initial conclusions? Anger is also God's right response to sin as well. And and if you, if you read more in this passage, you see Moses acts a lot like God in his response as well. Anger is a, is a proper response attitude at times even of those who are to be godlike but let's move quickly to our last passage one final selection in our study here to get our minds around the topic of anger mark three turn to mark three jesus of course in the gospel of mark is presented as that promised old testament servant who has come to seek and save the lost He is the one we've been looking for, that man, the servant of the Lord. And as we rifle our way through the Gospel of Mark, we are shocked, amazed, and delighted by the Jesus we see, for He is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who spoke and acted and even angered in the Old Testament look at this mark 3 verse 1 he entered into a synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they were watching him that is jesus to see if he would heal him on the sabbath so that they might accuse him and he said to the man with the withered hand get up and come forward and he said to them is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the sabbath to save life or to kill but they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel together with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy this man, this Jesus. Notice there's a lot of people angry in this story. But what are the causes of anger? Of course, we have the leaders of the synagogue. They are angry at Jesus, and they're looking for an excuse to do what? Be publicly angry. Be publicly, righteously angry. We want to find a trap for this man so we can destroy him. And surprise, 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 who else do we find to be angry in this passage? None other but the meek and mild Jesus himself. He is angry as well. And notice the display of angry yeah, anger here. Jesus gets angry. Jesus is grieved, our passage says, by their hardness of hearts. And what are the resulting actions of Jesus' anger? Did you notice it? Did you see it? Well, first off, his anger brings judgment. But did you notice also his anger does good, seeks to do good for someone in need? That's our Bible study. Let's think about some basic, basic conclusions that we've kind of uh, seen so far. No, notice it's very obvious to us, right? Anger is often, easily, usually bad. I could have had uh, tens of passages more of examples for you. Anger is often easily very bad. Anger often leads to other sins and troubles and problems. It leads to separation between you and, and loved ones. Anger can and will interpret the behavior of others around you in a negative light. Anger quickly gets out of control. Anger is very easy to manipulate by other people, and you can be manipulated very easily in your anger and the basic idea that we see here is simple right anger is dangerous anger is perilous but we see something else even from looking at the bible this way don't we anger is not always automatically sinful anger is seen at times as godliness sometimes god himself gets angry Anger is seen as godliness in God's people as well. Sometimes God's people must be angry if they are going to be faithful to Him. And let me say this initially, and, and don't check out of the sermon after I say this, because this is going to sound so crazy that I can't be right. But, but let me argue something to you for the rest of the sermon, and, and this is what I'm going to argue. Anger is both perilous and precious. Anger is both perilous and precious. You should be worried about anger, concerned about anger, but you also need anger in your life. You can, you should be both good and angry. Actually, that's the name of a really good book on anger, Good and Angry by David Powelson. You must be angry if you will fully put on the new man that you have been given in Christ. If you are not angry, something is missing, something is lacking. And that's what brings us to our passage. Our passage this morning is Ephesians 4. Turn over to it. Ephesians 4. A quick quick zoom over Ephesians 4 will show us this. Ephesians 4 is about the, the new man that we are to put on in Christ. We, we have come to know Christ, and everything is different. We can no longer walk according to the old ways of life. Ephesians 4, 17-19 talks about what the old way looks like. We have a futility of mind. We have a, a darkness in our understanding. There is an alienation from God. There is an ignorance, a hardness of heart in the old man, and as a result, the, the old man is callous towards his own sin, he's unfeeling, he's past feeling, but this is not the way the believers have learned Christ, it says in verse 21 and 22. What have we learned in Christ? We have learned to lay aside, verse 22, in reference to our formal conduct, the old man which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, And we have learned to be renewed in the spirit of our mind in verse 23. In verse 24, we've also learned and been able to in Christ to put on the new man which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness. And then notice, he begins to walk through all of these put-offs and put-ons. We'll read the first two. Therefore, laying aside falsehood... Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Verse 26. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your angry anger, and do not grieve, but give the devil in opportunity. A few basic comments here before we really tackle this passage. Just notice there are two basic commands here. Be angry. Don't be angry. Be angry and do not sin in your anger. Have something called righteous anger. This is probably referring or quoting or alluding to Psalm uh, 4.4. We won't go there. But it's important to notice, even in the context here of Ephesians, uh, relationships are on Paul's mind. All of these put-ons and put-offs in Ephesians 4 have to do with the relationships we enjoy inside the body of Christ. And, and notice in verse 31 what Paul says we, we must put off Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Sinful anger is defined as as horrendous to the body of Christ and must be cast away. We, we, We must bring that into the discussion even here. Anger is a very dangerous thing. Look what can result from it. But there's a hard concept for us here in in verses 26 and 27, and it's this idea of righteous anger. And we're called to it as Christians. It is described as perilous and as precious at once. You could say it this way. The believer must walk a razor's edge. The believer must pursue something called righteous anger. So let's go through it. Anger is both precious and and perilous point number one anger is precious anger is precious verse 26 you see it there in the command A you believer are commanded to be angry it is a command from the Lord and therefore it is something that we must have Matter of fact, the the verb tense here calls for repeated action of some kind. Let this continually characterize your life. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Why would he be commanding us to do this? It's important, apparently. And let me argue for you, it's important because of how the Bible apparently sees anger. Anger. It's not necessarily, apparently, a a problem to get rid of. Not all the time. It is rather, if I were to define anger in biblical terms, seen in our Bibles as a human capacity, a human capacity that we are given by God for his good purposes in our lives. It's it needs refinement. We need to be renewed. We need to be sanctified. But it's a human capacity that we need if we are going to fully put on the new man. You think about it God gives us many crucial, critical capacities. For example, He gives us happiness. That's a capacity, He gives us sorrow. That's a human capacity. Think of it as, as a gift in a way, an incredible gift of, of high value. Like many of God's gifts, it, it can be used for incredible good or incredible evil and destruction. The mind is an incredible gift. It's a precious one. And it can be used for incredible good or horrific evil. Your speech, your mouth is an incredible gift by God. But it can be used for incredible evil. Your creativity is an incredible gift that you bear as an image bearer of your God. And it can be used for amazing good, for His glory. But yes, you know it. You know it is true. It can be used for terrifying evil. Your ability to enjoy friendships is an incredible opportunity for good. An incredible opportunity for evil. Your sexual ability is an incredible gift from God but you know it. It can be twisted so easily and so often to be so perilous and so destructive to so many people. But think about it this way. If it is a human capacity, what does that say about anger? If, if, you, if you lack this human capacity, something is is missing in your life. And you're not able to function the way God created you in, in some sort of a way. Here's the definition that Paulson, David Paulson, in his book, Good and Angry, uh, provides, I think it's helpful. Anger is a disposition. It's a posture. It's simply, it's simply saying, I'm against that. That's what anger is. I'm against that. It is, as he would say, an active displeasure towards something that is important enough to care about. That changes the way we think about anger. Is there anything in your life that's important enough to care about? You need anger if it is. It's a posture that we have, that we're called to have, against wrongs. If if you are going to live a life that thinks and feels as God thinks and feels, and if you're going to follow Him, you must have this thing called righteous anger. You must have this capacity. It is an essential emotion if you are going to follow God. It's an essential emotion to being rightly related to God. Notice this. This is, this is easy. This is easy to think about, but a God is a God who is perfectly against all sin. God is a God who is perfectly angry at evil and unrighteousness. That is the God that we serve. Psalm 18:30 says this, as for God, his way is blameless in all of that. But then in Psalm 7 verse 11, God is a righteous God and a God who has indignation every single day. God is perfectly against all evil. You can't escape this God of the Bible. When Jesus comes on the scene, of course He is angry at evil and at sin and at injustice. He is a comfort to the humble, but a confronter of the proud. Our God, throughout the Bible, confronts and humbles. We see this with Pharaoh. He burns with anger against His own people when they build a calf of faithlessness. He brings down the the proud of the nation through His prophets. And Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, as it says in Colossians 1, and the exact representation of His nature, as it says in Hebrews 1, He comes with this very attribute of divine anger as well. We see Him angry at hardness of heart. That is an evil against your God and your Creator. We even see Him at Lazarus' tomb angry. Anger, snorting with indignation, it could be translated. Weeping, not because He is losing a friend, but because of the evil of death that He has come to wage war against. That is the Jesus that we see in the Bible. Now it's important for us to remember something theologically. We were created in the image of God. and We were created in one sense to be angry, but he does not get angry as we get angry. We are so much often a victim of our anger, a victim of our emotions, but He is always angry according to the determination of His will from eternity past. He chooses freely to be angry and He is never made to be angry. He is never manipulated into anger. It is His free response. But our God, we see it again and again, is a God who is perfectly against all sin. And we also see very clearly that to be in a right relationship with Him, we also must be against some things. We must be against sin. Psalm 97, verse 10 says, Hate evil, you who love Yahweh. Psalm 119, 103 through 104 says this, How sweet is your word to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get perception, therefore I hate every false way. And then Psalm 139, 21 says this, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Yahweh? And do I not revile those who rise up against you? I hate them with utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. The the psalmist here is, is, is expressing his loyalty to God. I'm on your side and on no one else's side. And if anyone is against you, reviles your name, that means they're against me as well because I am with you. And I want you to know that. To love God, to love God's will, to love God's way, to love God's word means you, as Psalm 1 says, hate the counsel of the wicked. You detest the way of sinners and you despise, you can't stand the seed of scoffers. And that's just not an Old Testament thing either. If you turn in your Bibles really quick to 2 Corinthians verse 7, look at this. 2 Corinthians verse 7 says that this is a very New Testament thing. This is a very Christian attribute. Paul here is expressing his love for the Corinthians. And he's wanting to encourage them with the, the, the true repentance that he has seen in them. And the joy and the thankfulness that he finds in their godly grief. In chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, verse 10, Paul describes true godly grief. He says this, Godly sorrow produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world brings about death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has brought about in you. What vindication of yourself... What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong in everything you demonstrated yourself to be innocent in the matter? What's the proof in Paul's mind that they have truly turned from their sin? Notice the word. You are indignant. You, you are angry. Uh, they are against something question what, what are they against they're against themselves they're against the sin the foolishness the pride the arrogance that got them into this mess in the first place they, they are zealous to clear themselves to separate from that sin in their own heart that turned them from the lord's apostle himself And they have indignation about their own sin. That's why God gave you anger. So that you could be against your sin as He is against your sin. So that you could move from it with a vehemence, with an energy, with a zeal, with a motivation that you say to yourself, I never want to do this again. What do I have to do? What do I have to cut off? What do I have to remove? What do I need to throw away? I never want to be here again. That's indignation. And that's a gift from God. It's a precious thing. It's a vital component. It's a vital component to genuine repentance. If you are not angry over your sin. Perhaps you have not truly repented of your sin. If you have not truly seen the way your sin is before God and confessed it to Him and hated it before Him, then you, my friend, perhaps have not truly come to the saving grace of Jesus. Because this is true repentance, indignation. But if you don't have anger, you can't repent. You can't turn, and you can't be free. Go back to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Paul, in verse 19, reminded us of the horror of the past life. And maybe it's helpful to you today to just remember again the horror of your past life. Do you remember that? remember what your sin caused in your heart and in your mind? It was futility in your mind. It was darkness in your understanding. It was an alienation, a separation, a warfare from God. It was ignorance, spiritual ignorance of God. It was all coming from this hardness of heart. And notice what it produced. It produced a callousness in you towards sin. It it, it produced something horrible. It produced an enslavement to sensuality. You were willing to practice every kind of greediness, it says in verse 19. Every kind of impurity. You know what this is like. The, The same thing that used to give you a rush doesn't give you a rush anymore, and you've become callous to the pleasure of sin. And you need more and more and more of it. And your feelings have become callous. Your feelings have become dull. That is what the old life is like, an increasing dullness towards pleasure. Thank God that you blush. Thank God that you can be opposed to things and hate sin in your heart and in your mind. That is a grace of God. Now be clear, anger itself against sin isn't repentance. Turning to Christ in faith is repentance. But anger anger is a vital component of what that looks like in your life. And I say all this to simply point out, isn't anger precious? Where would you be without anger, God-given anger at your own sin? Righteous anger enables you to deal constructively with sin, to put it away, to turn from it. It's more than just feelings. It's feelings that lead you to do something good. It's constructive. It causes you to be incapable of indifference towards sin. Isn't that a wonderful thing? it's it's power to remove compromising sin from your heart and your life it's a willingness to expose secret sin in your life isn't that a precious thing isn't that a good thing it's boldness to defend the defenseless isn't that a precious gift it's energy to resolve conflict and to restore relationships isn't that a sweet thing to the body of christ it's zeal to befriend the the friendless it's a willingness to stand for god's truth and god's glory when no one else will and notice this it's mainly a capacity that gives you energy to wage war against your own sin righteous anger is always god-oriented Always about God's glory. It's never selfish. It's never focused on you. It's never saying, well, this person has treated me poorly, so I'm going to be righteously angry at them. That's not how righteous anger is. It's God oriented, His glory. And it seeks to protect His glory and the glory that His image bearers, innocent image bearers, have. That's what righteous indignation brings you. It's not self centered at all, it doesn't rage against those who personally rage against you because that is not the way you have been treated in christ at all remember first peter first peter chapter 2 talks about christ it says this of him who being reviled being rejected what did he do he reviled not in return well suffering he was uttering no threats but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He bore our sins in His own body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live to righteousness by His wounds. His wounds caused by our sin. By those wounds, we have been healed. Isn't that a precious gift from God? Isn't that? Precious to you? Question, what do you get angry over? Harder question, what are you indifferent towards? What do you care about most? Because your anger will show what you care about most. Question, is your anger precious to anyone in your life? Or is it a cause of great anxiety to everyone in your life? That is not righteous anger. Righteous anger is precious, precious to the home where righteous anger dwells. Your anger will only be truly precious to you and to others as your mind and your heart are actively, deliberately, persistently being renewed by the Spirit of Christ, through the grace of Christ, by the Word of God, to result in love for others. That's the only kind of anger that will be precious. Now, let me be very clear. I spent a long time on that, because that is surprising. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this next point, because it's not surprising. But it's equally true. Anger is purposed by God as a great gift, but like so many of God's gifts, it has terrible ways that it can be abused. Anger is precious, point one, but point two as well. Anger is perilous. You know it's true. Anger quickly becomes sinful anger. Anger quickly becomes deadly anger. We in our selfish state are easily inclined towards ourselves. We we quick we are quick to make excuses for our anger as well. Are we not? Right? It's not anger. I'm just hangry. Doesn't count. Just didn't eat breakfast this morning. That's why I'm angry. At, I'm hangry at you. I've got a lot on my plate right now. Life is stressful. Work is hard. That doesn't count if I'm angry. It's their fault. I'm sick. I'm in pain. These kids are driving me crazy. That's not anger. That's righteous. (laughs) Quick guide for you. When is your anger sinful? When you use it to defend yourself. When you're seeking to defend your pride. Or to flip 1 Peter 2 on its head. When you are reviled, you revile in return. When you suffer, you threaten. Anger is sinful when you use it to separate yourself from someone who Christ is calling you to be reconciled to. Anger is sinful when it is uncontrolled. Anger is sinful when it is destructive. Anger is sinful when Christ's glory and Christ's honor are the very furthest from your desires and from your heart. Anger is sinful when it is quick, when it is sudden. It's often sinful. But notice this anger is also sinful when it is long. That's what we see. Here in Ephesians 4, right? Be angry, verse 26, and do not sin. And then right next to that, what does he say? Do not let the sun go down in your anger. anger. Anger wants to break fellowship. Anger wants to separate you from the body of Christ. Anger wants to refuse restoration in any, any way possible. Anger wants to stoke the fires of wrath, of bitterness, of separation. That's what anger wants. It wants to be as far away from you as the person can be who has threatened you, hurt you, called you out. Anger wants to separate far away. But notice, anger can be good anger, but over a period of time, apparently, can become very bad when it is used to be hostile, bitter, angry, and resentful towards that person. Now, in case you're, you happen to think right now, well, that won't happen to me. I'm in total control. Nobody ever knows that I'm angry. Be warned. Be warned. You are not alone in your anger ever. Did you see what Ephesians 4 also said? Ephesians 4 Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And what happens if you do that? Do not give the devil an opportunity. The question. What is one of the high purposes of the church's unity that we see in the letter to the Ephesians? We see in Ephesians 3, verse 10, all this grace is being poured out on the church. Free grace, pardon for sin, so that they can be unified. And in Ephesians 3, 10, why? What's the purpose? What's the high purpose of all of this? So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church, to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places see what's going on there god is on a glory finding mission and he is seeking to renew and save and redeem a people for himself that are unified in the cross of christ why so that angels in the heavenly places see the majesty and wonder and praise worthy of this god and his grace and they rejoice and they worship god for his glory that is the purpose. It is so beyond you. It's for God's glory. Ephesians 2.7 So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus so beyond you. But He is aiming for His glory through the unity under the truth that the church shows. That's what God's after. So, what do you think Satan's after? How would he want to rob God of glory? Answer seeking division between two believers through unresolved conflict, through feeding anger into bitterness and wrath and slander. That's what he's after. He wants to use this capacity that was meant for good to rob God of glory. Those who hold anger flippantly in their life are basically opening up The door of their life to the devil, and saying, Here's some territory you can use to seek your operations in. Do not give the devil such an opportunity. Remember, remember what we've already discovered, right? Anger is easy to manipulate. You are easy to manipulate when you become angry. And you know you know what he's going to do. And you know he will want to do it. To rob God of glory. Beloved, don't be so arrogant to think it's all about you. And it can be all about you alone. God's glory and Christ's grace must matter more. Because you have an enemy. You have an enemy who... Maybe doesn't own your anger, but he's very willing to help you spend it. Don't be so arrogant. In contrast, righteous anger—to to close this thing down. Righteous anger sees sin breaking apart fellowship and acts with zeal to restore. Sees sin corrupting your own life and acts with indignation to confess, remove and return from it sees sin against yourself and instead of responding in anger hates that kind of sin instead willingly freely purposefully entrusts all wrongs against yourself to the judgment of god as it says in romans 12 verse 19 never taking your own revenge beloved instead leave room for the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay Let me say it one more way, and then be done. If you have an anger problem, perhaps, perhaps you are not angry enough. Your anger problem is because you are not angry enough at your own anger. And the way to deal with anger is to see your anger before God and the sin that it is, and confess it boldly and freely to God and to all those that you have sinned against, remembering in every moment how his anger, which was so much more justified, so much more righteous, was put on you and removed. Romans 5A God has demonstrated his own love towards us in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Let's pray. Lord now we we come to you thanking you for the preciousness of this gift but also recognizing its danger and we ask that you would give us hearts to be angry rightly at our own sin for your glory and for our good. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.